Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there and thanks for joining us. On this episode, we're looking ahead to the budget in 2023 and what will be contained therein to help businesses having a difficult time. And we're going to take a look at a very clever tour that taps into the history of of the city. But if you're listening in West Cork, you'll know although rain is never too far away, you can't use your hose pipe on the poor garden for the next few weeks. Irish Water citing the severe stress on water supplies in the region for the decision to impose that particular order. But what does it mean for businesses, particularly those who need a bit of water, one of which is Future Forest, uh, which is one of West Cork's uh, leading garden centres and plant centres and tree centres. You do a little bit of everything, Matt Keane, don't you? Hi, Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. We do. We we try to stock, uh, I suppose, as big as range as, as possible. We're um we're quite rural, so having a, a big as range as possible really kind of gets people through the door. Now you are exempt from the hosepipe ban because if you didn't have water, you wouldn't be able to keep all those plants alive, would you? Yeah, we, we're 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 exempt as a garden centre, and um, definitely, if we didn't have water, we'd be we'd be in major trouble. So we, I mean, on our side, in terms of in terms of water, we we recognised a few years ago that we might have problems with it. So we uh, actually took, we made natural reservoirs. So where we are, we're kind of on the side of a hill here and there's lots of kind of boggy ground and we noticed where springs were coming up and stuff like that. So where this was happening, we simply dug out. We didn't do any lining. We just used the clay that was there and um, we made these reservoirs. So, because we were, we were definitely getting worried about our water security. Mm. And, now, and, and is, that, is the, that going, that hasn't exactly eased as we've had a very dry summer now and you're looking at elsewhere around the world where it's, it's definitely one of the warmest years on record. This could become the norm and, and you'll be running out of water more often than you'll have it in the summer. Big style, yeah. So, literally, even as we speak, we're constantly monitoring the reservoirs just to see where they're at and, and how they are and if they're under pressure. And we notice that they are under pressure. And what can happen with reservoirs is they can be holding and then they drop. And then when they get near the bottom, they actually drop very, very quickly. So, as I said, ours are kind of holding at the moment, but we are literally right now pinpointing another area where we feel we can do another reservoir. And we feel we have to because this year, definitely tables have got a bit low. I remember in, I think it was 2018, they got very low. So it's it's definitely a trend. It's definitely happening. So we just have to, it's something we have to watch out for and plan for. Are you changing the product offering? Because that's the other thing that people might look for. The, the traditional plant that they came in for mightn't fare too well in these conditions. I know that a few of the plants I bought at the start of the summer seriously struggled uh, with the heat. Are, are, are people looking for different things now or, or has that dawned on them yet that they mightn't be able to plant all the things they would have planted before? I, I think you nailed it that it hasn't kind of dawned on people yet. I would say this is the first summer where people are going, geez, you know, we have to do a lot here to keep these plants alive and to keep watering them. Now, in general, in Ireland, it is the plants that are planted in that first year. It's that first year of life when maybe the roots haven't really got into the ground nicely that they need to water. After that, the plants really should take care of themselves. So I don't believe it's a... I don't believe it's in people's consciousness yet, but we are seeing definite trends, I suppose, in relation to, I would say, climate change in general. Um, like our fruit range, which we sell a lot of fruit, and that has increased year on year. And I think that's a, a direct result of people wanting to grow their own, to, I suppose, have a little bit of food security. 
and also maybe just to show their kids, look, this this apple is growing on a tree here. You don't have to get it uh, in a supermarket, you know. Um, Matt, you, you seem progressive, right? You've dug your reservoirs. You've, you've made sure that you have access to water, even if there is a hosepipe ban that's affecting other parts of West Cork, right? So you're a little bit ahead of the curve. What do you say to other businesses who haven't thought that far ahead? Now, not everyone's going to be able to do it, but uh, clearly you saw the opportunity and you took the option. We did. Now, we don't have mains here at all, so it wasn't, it was never kind of an option for us. We just knew we needed to make sure we had extra extra water available. I mean, climate change is happening, and I think every business is individual, and they have to look at what they can do to to, to try and help us, you know. You live in a beautiful part of West Cork and your, your garden centre there, uh, just outside Bantry, it draw, draws people from right around the place. What's the biggest seller been for you this year when people are coming down and moseying around uh, future forests? Well, I suppose our biggest seller, if you look over the whole year as a range, would be fruit and would be native trees as well. There's been a big, big big trend towards more native planting which is obviously fantastic because all the native trees and shrubs obviously support mm. way more insect life and, and stuff like that so we've seen we've seen a big trend that way but we're actually we're, we're very fortunate in that we have a, an online business as well and we unbelievably about 50 percent of our whole trade is is online Wow. Okay. So, how, so I can been, ask you how do you, how do you pack a tree? I mean, that's kind of a that's a curious thing for the postman to collect. Yeah. No. Good question. They come in big, big parcels depending on depending on the size of the tree. We use we use recycled cardboard, and we've a, a local farmer who brings down straw to us. So, if you can picture kind of two laid out sheets of cardboard and the tree goes into that. It's then packed with straw to kind of protect all the branches and all the goodness inside there. That's then, cardboard is rolled over and wrapped. Then that's put into a plastic bag. They're thermal bags that uh, they have long life, so you can reuse them. And then they go off with the, any big parcels go with the courier and anything small goes with unpost. Yeah, I, I remember planting my own hedge, uh, which consisted of hundreds of sticks at the time that uh, you, you could shove in the back of the boot. But obviously it goes up to the mature tree. I mean, how many mature trees are you shifting? And is there an increase in interest in those who, people who mightn't uh, want to wait in the modern TikTok environment for the tree to grow of its own volition? Gotcha. I mean, I'm. A, it depends what you mean by a big tree. I am a... I've been in this industry since I started landscaping when I was 15 years of age with a local landscaper. So I've been in the industry for a long time and I am a massive, massive believer in planting smaller. I know that's different to what you said, but I swear if I had a 10 euro for every time someone said, oh, I planted this big, massive tree and it cost a fortune and the small tree in four years time overtook it, you know, and is thriving and, and moving on. So we do sell, we do sell some big trees, but not big, big trees. And so our main focus is usually on planting smaller, get it in the ground. It can really develop a good root network very quickly then. And off it goes from there. What's the website you mentioned if people want to look you up and buy some of the fine products available from Future Forests? It's just futureforest.ie. Futureforest.ie. Matt Keane from Future Forest down in West Cork. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Matt. You're more than welcome. Nice to talk to you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
The schools have only just reopened and already we're staring down the barrel of the budget which is being unveiled in September this year for a change. Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue and Public Expenditure Minister Mike McGrath just a few weeks to prepare a package that it's hoped is going to have a real impact to address the cost of living, the housing crisis and all the other issues that are facing us as a society. Court Chambers put forward the list in its pre-budget submission and to go through them we've got the Director of Public Affairs for Court Chamber, Rory Kelleher. Hiya Rory. Hi Jonathan, uh, good to be on the show. Lovely to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about what you're asking for because it's quite a long list facing businesses in terms of problems at the moment. Yeah, I suppose uh, the key thing in terms of business is obviously inflation and um, rising input costs You know that, that are concerned for all businesses and they're, they're a threat to competitiveness and you know employment growth. So what we're looking for is you know the, the government needs to move to cushion that blow essentially um, we need to see personal tax allowances, USC, PRSI thresholds all indexed for inflation um, so that they increase in line with inflation and also to reduce, I mean, we don't want to get into this uh, inflationary spiral where rising prices drive rising wages, which drive rising prices, which drive rising wages. So the government really needs to step in and uh, give both businesses and workers a handout uh, you know, in this energy and inflation crisis. We thought we'd see it at all, Rory, in terms of crises over the last couple of years between COVID yeah. and Brexit and everything else that had come along the way, including the big economic crash of 07, 08. Yeah. This is a particular set of challenges, though, isn't it? Because we are we don't want to feed inflation, but to offset inflation, we have to do some things to keep money in people's pockets so they can meet their responsibilities. Do you envy the two ministers? No, not at all. Now, now, the one thing to say is that, you know, this energy crisis, it's probably going to be time limited, you know, it won't go on forever. So whatever measures, you know, the finance minister and minister for public expenditure need to bring in, uh, they're not going to be need to be permanent. But we do need to, they do need to put in place relief for businesses and for ordinary people in terms of cost of living and cost of doing business. I mean, it's a bit like, you know, the pandemic, you know, we kind of need some extraordinary measures to tackle what is an extraordinary situation. And, you know, we don't have control of this energy crisis. It's been driven by the war in Ukraine and then international oil and gas prices. How concerned are you that other issues might get squeezed a little bit in terms of attention? Uh, Housing is one of the biggest issues the government has on its plate right now outside of cost of living. But when there are bigger problems to deal with in a budgetary cycle, you tend to focus on them. Uh, Are you you concerned at all that housing might get a fair shake in terms of the two speeches? We, we are a bit concerned, but I suppose, infla- you know, housing is also driving inflation and it's driving increases in the cost of living, both rents and the actual, you know, the cost of buying a house and therefore uh, the cost of mortgages and people's repayments. And we have the ECB raising interest rates. So we really need to get a handle on the housing situation. I mean, we've proposed, you know, the government shouldn't introduce a Vienna style model, um, you know, for housing with low cost loans. Uh, low-cost land um, and, you know, kind of innovative approach. We need some fresh thinking on this. There are, you know, some of the initiatives are working, like cost rental, uh, but with inflation of construction prices and material prices, we need to see those, you know, the income limits for cost rental raised so it's viable for developers to build them. And we particularly need to see 
kind of high density, high quality development on city centre brownfield sites. Uh, because if we're going to have a sustainable way of living in Cork and in other cities, people need to be able to walk and cycle and use the bus to get to work, not be so car dependent and have all the services, entertainment, you know, within a distance and green spaces. So, you know, housing is the key to unlocking, you know, a lot of both our climate and sustainability targets, but also in terms of cost of living, you know, we need to get the supply of housing for rent, for sale, affordable housing, social housing, all increased. And when you get that volume, you, the prices will go down eventually. You're looking abroad for inspiration here. Why choose Vienna? What are they doing differently? Um, what they've done differently is, I suppose, they've really targeted affordable housing for middle-income and uh, middle-income families and households. And what they've done differently is that they've really intervened, I suppose, the city of Vienna has used its credit rating to, as a city, which would be they'd be able to borrow money at very low interest rates, just like the government or like ISIF, as we suggest, should be behind this fund. And they then, you know, bring in developers and investors together and get them to compete to develop sites in cities with certain restrictions. So uh, capped rents for a certain period of time, you know, affordable rents and uh the payback of the loans can be over a much longer term. It can be well after the completion of the development, which gives developers that flexibility and it gets development going, I suppose. This is the problem in Cork and other cities. We have a lot of sites with planning permission. Uh, they're not viable. They're not being built. And yet we have, a, we have an accelerating housing crisis. So we need to get in there. You know, we've, Vienna has a successful model. It's delivered tens of thousands of affordable housing units. There's no reason why we can't do it. It just needs a little bit of original thinking. And it's bringing together a, a raft of measures in one place, not just a drip drip of one thing after another thing. Uh, just to finish up, if we can, uh, it's, it's a perennial at this point. Uh, the convention centre, long since promised yeah. uh, not at all delivered uh, it had been hoped to start this year and then loads of things happened you're saying it needs to be built but I think that's been in every pre-budget submission you've made for the last 10 years nearly at this point uh, how confident are you that uh, 2023 might finally be the year well we're hopeful and we'll, we'll be keeping up the pressure you know I mean it's a key part of you know the development of Cork in terms of attracting in, you know, conventions and concerts. And, you know, we need an indoor, you know, concert and venue facility in the centre of the city. The, the, you know, the the venue or the site is perfect for it. Uh, we just need to push ahead. And that goes for other things like the Cork Business School, the elective hospital. And also, you know, we really want to see all the rail, uh, bus, connect, all that delivered quicker for Cork. Because Cork is going to grow by 50% by 2040. We need all this infrastructure, social, you know, housing, transport. We need it delivered quicker. Yes. September the 27th is the day the budget is going to be read. Rory, where can people read more about your pre-budget submission? Yeah, uh, corkchamber.ie is the best place to get all the information on it. Rory Kelleher, Director of Public Affairs, Sustainability and Communications at Cork Chamber. Thanks for joining us, Rory. Thanks, Jonathan. We've covered lots of Cork's tourism offerings on Red Business over the last few years, from double-decker bus tours serving afternoon tea to alfresco dining in the city centre. Next one, though, is a little bit different. Sean Hoolan is a taxi driver, and he's behind the Cork City War of Independence tour. Sean, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you? 
Great altogether, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Lovely to talk to you. Where'd you get the idea? So, Jonathan, I suppose it's an idea that I've had for a long time, really. You know, um, I would always have had a passion for the era of the War of Independence, probably dating back because my grandfather was an officer in the old IRA. He was in the 9th Battalion, 1st Corp Brigade down in the Kinsale area, and there was stories about him going around when I was young and, you know, the people he knew. He was good friends with a man called Paddy Trahey, who, you know, was uh, killed by the Black and Tans on the junction of Princess Street and Patrick Street. Those kind of tales always kind of stirred me up about the War of Independence and, like, there's never been anybody done anything about a tour in the city for the War of Independence and there's a fantastic story there waiting to be told. Is There was so much action here in the city in the two years. Cork was absolutely alive between the IRA and the British Army who flooded troops into Cork because it was so active. Uh, one quarter of uh, the British troops in the country were here in Cork. So uh, that's the... Uh, give you a little idea of what was going on and it's it's, you know? it's funny Sean that uh, whether it is the fact that the war of independence was so quickly followed by a civil war which, which divided people we didn't really it know did. much about the Tragically. history of the war of independence because of that it was almost like there was an omerta around it other than the burning of Cork everybody of course knew about that story it was the other bits around it it was almost like it wasn't spoken about yes uh, you know I couldn't agree more like we all know about the rising in Dublin and what went on then, um, but there's so many uh, things happened, uh, situations and, and events, and like shootings, killings, kidnappings, uh, bombings, grenades going off. It was all part of it, spies and farmers. It was all part of the story in, in Cork City. And that's the story I want to tell over my two-hour journey around the city. Well, you just answered my question. It's two hours long. So what's the reaction of people? And and second to that, who's coming on this tour? Is it Cork people? Is it people coming in from outside of the city? And and what's the reaction? It's a mixture so far. So far, my advertising hasn't really kicked off. The very first man to come on the tour was Eamon Fitzpatrick of iZest Marketing. And he said straight away to me, I think you have a fantastic product and it will go well for you once you get it out there. Um, I haven't really started the, the advertising, but it is due to go soon. I do have a Facebook and Instagram page, Cork City War of Independence Tour. And some of the tours that I've done already, you'd see the photographs there of the people. So Eamon and his mom were on the first tour. Then I had Mary Scannell, and her nephews from Seattle on the next tour. Uh, I then had Alison O'Mani and a group from Salt Lake City on another tour. And Mick Scannell, a uh, fierce interesting guy from uh, London Irish, is the best way to describe Mick, born in, born in uh, London, would describe himself to me as a plastic paddy. But he, you know, he, he had a great passion for the War of Independence also. So to answer your question, a mixture. I think a car connection, but second of all, the tours so far have been uh, kind of Cork people that have had folk around and they, they brought them on the tour. Yeah. Everybody has received it blown away by it. Yeah, no, it's, it's an incredible story. And it's brilliant to yeah. bottle it or, or at least to shove it into a taxi. What What's the capacity of the taxi? How many people can you bring? So I can I can bring seven all together. Uh, once I have four, really, I'd go 
and you know like it's a two hour guided tour uh, around the city so I would be hoping to have like you know it's not for one really as such you know a, a group of three or four to, to take off and I would I'd definitely do a tour then at that point you know Now I've never known a taxi driver who, who doesn't uh, keep his opinions to himself uh, but you're coming at this from a historical point of view so you're, you have your historian's yes. hat on you and I'm guessing you're well able to tell that story have you always had the passion for history? Well, yeah, I have always had a passion for history, but my huge passion was always the War of Independence and that era, World War One, Titanic, all that type of stuff. Really, you know, always fascinated me more than say like a World War Two now or something like that. It's just whatever it was, it, it always, you know, had the the passion and the interest in in the era and all these characters that we had here in the city, you know. Tomas McCurtain, Terence McSweeney, two Lord Mayors, both of them commanders in the IRA, both, you know, fiercely committed men, both died uh, in in the battle. Like, mm. um, Tomas McCurtain, killed by RIC stroke Black and Tans. Uh, Terence McSweeney died in a hunger strike, so... You know, but many others like I have yeah. so many stories about guys that, that, that I've dug up that I didn't know about myself well that's the problem with history once you start digging you, you find loads more I mean I really think we were robbed last year because of Covid and, and the opportunity to tell the story yes. but the good news is you're out doing it now Sean how do people go about getting on the, the tour do they just contact you directly so contact me directly. Uh, you can contact me on my mobile 0876267492 or go on the Facebook page or the Instagram page and message me there and I'll come straight back. Um, I'm available anytime, um, Monday to Sunday really, seven days a week, but the bookings have to be in advance. Yeah, okay, understood. Because and- obviously I, I drive a school bus there, I do a... A school run for Ballyfehan Girls Secondary School. I'd like to say to, hello to them. Yeah, well, a big, big shout out to them. They're probably the most educated on, on the history of Cork City in this period as a result of you being their bus driver. The number again, if people yeah. want to get it, it's 87 or look for Sean on Facebook, the Cork City War That's of Independence right. Tour. Sean, best of luck and That's thanks it. so much for taking the time. Jonathan, great. Could I just play a request for my two children, Evan and Lauren, before I leave you? Absolutely. Well, we, we, what we'll do is we'll get it on on, on, on Red FM as well. So, Evan and Lauren, big shout out to you in the podcast, and we'll get Dave Mack to put it out on Drive as well. Sean Hoolan, thanks so much. Jonathan, thanks a million. Thank you. That's it from this episode of Red Business. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget our video series is up and running as well. Red Business in focus with thanks to Cork's local enterprise offices. It is up right now on redfm.ie. Kira McDonough was the producer and we will catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.